Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. And with your Bibles open to John chapter 1 and hopefully a sermon outline there, I'm going to ask that you follow along as we think our way through the Incarnation. This is the third in our series on the Advent, and this is called Incarnation. Incarnation is a word that means in flesh. Uh, it means that, that, uh, it has, uh, that something is in flesh. And we know in this particular situation that in flesh thing is God himself has become in flesh. So I want to explore that with you just a little bit this morning. Um, we're going to start with John chapter 1 and verse 1. And I'm probably going to sneeze and get started with a series of those. I can feel it coming on. Well, anyway, Father, help me. I don't want to do that. Thank you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let's look at this. The Word is present in the beginning of creation. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set the, the, the platform up like a timeline again. Here is the beginning of creation. This is the prophets and, and all before him, Abraham and Moses and, and all that group there. And then right here at the cross, this is where the cross is. This is the life of Jesus. This is then the New Testament and its writings. Then this is all of history up to a place where it's coming to a close. Fair enough? That's the timeline we have here. So, as we're remembering here, here's the beginning, and somebody was there already. The, the Word was present here in the beginning. Now, this doesn't tell us anything else other than the Word was present in the beginning. And if it's present in the beginning, it's an eternal thing because that is all eternity past. So this Word is eternal. Whatever this is, and we're not told a great deal about it right there. Matter of fact, there is, this is such a broad, broad, wonderful subject. It's deep. Uh, but the Word was present. But I want you to notice it says something else, that the Word was face-to-face -face with God. The Greek word that's used here, that, for that little word with, that little four-letter word with means face-to-face. -face. You can be with somebody at side-by-side -side or whatever else. But the Word is face-to-face. -face. In other words, that's the conversation side. So you have God and the, the Word face-to-face -face with each other. They are in each other's presence. Now, that just tells us so far that the Word is eternal, God is eternal, and they're face-to-face. -face. But then it tells us something else, that the Word is not simply face-to-face. -face. The Word is a part of that. The Word is God. Everybody with me? He said, this, Doug, this is basic stuff. We all, we all know this. I want you to consider with me, we haven't started anything yet. We're not doing anything yet. This is back here. And something is about to happen. But it's going to happen because of this relationship that's here already in eternity past. So let's take a look at what, what it tells us there. The Word is God. That's eternal. And the Word is active in the beginning. There is already a plan to create with this solitary being in three persons. So before there's a beginning, the Word, 
the Father and the Spirit are back here in a conversation with each other. That's what word does. It communicates back and forth. When we use words, we do them to communicate with each other. And we try to use words that make sense. Matter of fact, our conversations with each other have to make sense or they're not conversations. And there's a conversation that's happening back here. Can I tell you that the conversation that's happening about here is everything that's that way. Everything on this timeline that's that way is being discussed here. A plan is being put out. There's going to be a plan to create. There's going to be a plan for the fall. There's going to be a plan for redemption. I know the Word of God says that eternal life was promised before the world began. Wait a minute. Before the world began, if you're promising eternal life, there has to be somebody you're promising it to. Nobody's alive yet, right? So who are you making this promise to? The promise is being made to the Son. The Father is promising the Word everlasting life. You see, but He's already God. He doesn't need everlasting life. That's right. He's going to give everlasting life. Life is going to be in that Word. And that Word is going to be able to, when spoken, bring life into things. So when the, the Son speaks, or when the Word speaks, and that's what we know it as, the Word is the same as the Son. When the Son and the Word speak, life is going to come from it. If He has spoken to you that you will have eternal life, life came from that, and that is a promise from Almighty God. He's promising back here, before there's anything, eternal life. Then I read in the book of Revelation that He's the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. What? Yes, He's already slain before He's made anything. He's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Why? Because God is a just God. And as a just God, whatever is wrong has to be righted. And there will be a death that's required to right that thing. So he, before he even does anything else, has provided for his own mercy. By the lamb that's slain before the foundation of the world, he's provided himself with a, an opportunity to give mercy to whomever he wants before he's created anything. I want you to get this as well. Everything that he's about to create, he's already thought through all of its processes. Everything he's doing, he's already thought through its process. He's going to have several principles laid down that out of death will come life. Boy, there are things that are going to die, but when they die, they're going to become a part of that soil again that's going to be a part of life again, and life is going to come out of that death. He's setting that up as a principle because of something he's going to do way over here. You see, he's planning in that redemption that he's going to have of all the people that he's already planned out before then. He's planning that the death of this one is going to bring life. That's the way he set the principle up back here before there's a beginning. Do you know every tree is getting all its processes thought through before there's a tree? The whole way in which water, soil, air, and light are going to mix together to create life, 
already thought about here. So that on that day, when, when that beginning takes place, he's going to say, let there be light. And what had not been before is now. Guys, a whole new physics has just been set up. A whole new system. This, this thing, light, is, is it a particle? Is it a beam? What is this thing? Can't even define it. And the word says, light. And it's light. Because in the word is life. And that life gives life to everything that's out there. So you have the Father thinking, the Son creating it. So the Father's going to say what the Son is going to create. Just imagine this, rhinoceros. And when that's spoken, the Son takes delight in creating this ugly thing with a horn. Maybe, maybe at first it was a pretty thing. Maybe at first it was a unicorn. Maybe it's going to become a rhinoceros. I don't know. But I know they're having fun. You, you understand what I'm saying? Because you're seeing things that hadn't been there before. And he had already created the heavens and the earth. So there are creatures that he created in the heavens that are now looking at that and say, What is that? That's amazing. And they're singing songs about it. You have all that angelic host singing songs. That is a rhinoceros. Got a big horn. That is an elephant. The horn went the wrong way. Whatever they're singing. And they are enjoying the song. Can you imagine the six days of creation and the joy that's coming from that? That is the word that was back here. And that word, when it's speaking, is talking about what all those things are going to be and do when they're here. Every process. He's not even got the people yet, and he's having a delight in creating all these different vegetations, all these different animals. He's having a great delight in doing all that. Matter of fact, there's so much that he's saying, this is good. I love it. And he's finally going to say, this is very good. So just consider with me these little truths here. There's a principle or an axiom and a law that's being established. The Word of God cannot be broken. What is said is true and firm. It's eternal. If he says, let the earth bring forth vegetation, it brings forth vegetation. Can I say this? You have to poison a, a part of the soil for it not to bring forth vegetation. And even then, it brings forth vegetation. Why? Listen, you let your garden alone for a little while. Can I promise you? It won't be that little plowed up place that you left before. You see, the ground was commanded to do something. Bring forth vegetation. And the Word spoke that, and the ground says, we're on it. And that vegetation is going to pop up. Now, you may not like the vegetation that pops up. You don't have to like it. It's what the ground is told to do, and the ground is doing what it was told to do. Boom! It's green. We're bringing it up. And if the people don't know how to eat it, 
tough. If you don't know what to do with it, that's, that's not their problem. They have done what they're supposed to do. The ground has done what it's supposed to do. Does that make sense? Now, look, we need to have a better relationship with the nature that's around us. We have been allowing so much of uh, what is often called science to dictate to us, and, and, and technology, I would better include both of them in that, to dictate to us what we're supposed to do with these useless plants. We need to have a better understanding of the world we live in and a better relationship with that world because we're, we're stewards of this thing. And if we don't handle it properly, we're going to kill ourselves. Well, at least kill what's there. We need to have a better relationship with that. The Word. That Word, when it speaks, it has to take place. If he said that, that Jesus is going to come, can I share with you? Jesus is going to come. And it won't be broken. If he said that Israel is my chosen people, Israel is his chosen people, and it won't be broken. Everybody with me so far? If he said that he's going to come back for us, yeah, you got it. He's coming back for us, all right? Number three, as the Father speaks, the Word creates their thought in visible and unseen objects and concepts. The Word reveals things, though not seen himself. If you were back at creation, you wouldn't have seen anything because there's nothing to see. God is not seen, but you would heard. Let the waters be separated from the waters. Let the earth come up from the waters. Let the earth bring forth vegetation. It's all happening because the Word says it. But you wouldn't see anything. But the Word is revealing things, isn't it? Can I share with you? The Word of God is sharp and powerful, more sharp than any two-edged sword. It is so, so well and so sharp that it can divide between soul and spirit. It can divide out your motives. It can share that's what the Word of God does. The Word of God is so powerful it judges us. The Spirit of God hovers over creation to empower the created thing to do what the Word has commanded to be done with it. So if he's, if he's going to say to the waters, split, separate, the Holy Spirit's going to empower that water to split and separate. It's going to give it the energy it needs. Now, that's a wonderful thing to get in concept. Okay? Because the Holy Spirit empowers things to do what God intends them to do. Uh, we went to see, um, a few years ago down at uh, Sight and Sound, we went to see Samson. And at Samson, there was this, it's, it's a very human story. And as I'm watching this human story, this is a man who really wasn't very obedient. But I observed this. When I went back to read the biblical account, it says that God had something against the Philistines. He had something he wanted to do with the Philistines. And he had chosen Manoah and his wife to bring forth a son who was going to carry out what he wanted done. And even in his disobedience, he was carrying out what God had been. And here's the one that surprised me. It says that when the Philistines came up on Samson, 
he was filled with the Spirit and slaughtered him. Now, for those of you who, who just heard me say, Pastor said that if you're filled with the Spirit, you can kill people. I didn't say that. What I'm saying is the intended thing was the Philistines were to die. The instrument he had chosen was Samson. Samson may not have been an obedient soul every moment, but God had something he wanted to do, and he used Samson to do it, and it was Samson being filled with the Spirit of God. All I mean by that is that the Spirit of God empowers us to do what is intended to be done. That's why I've said before, listen, if you'll submit yourself to saying, here's what God words, God's Word says, I'll do what God words. If you will meet God part way, being obedient, He will meet you the rest of the way with His Spirit to empower you to do what needs to be done. Just as He did back here, empowering waters, empowering ground, empowering people, empowering animals, that's what the Holy Spirit does. And the Word speaks, and the Spirit empowers it. Number five, everything in the cosmos, visible and invisible, is made by the Word of God. That includes every system that's in it. If, if any of you have been studying science or any of those subjects, you got into physics or you got into chemistry, and they begin to tell you all the theory that's behind all that, and they begin to tell you that th there are certain uh, configurations that make up chlorine. There are certain configurations that make up hydrogen. There are certain configurations that make up this. And these are molecules, and these are atoms, and there's electrons floating all around and going all around, and they're telling you all those kind of things that's never been seen. Never been seen. You're not going to see it. We don't have the technology to get to where you could see that. But can I tell you, it's all right there created by the Word and held together by the Word. I know that. I probably said this before, but in one of the science classes, we're talking about uh, all these protons and neutrons around there and these electrons. How, how does that all hold together? No one knew. No one knew. It's atomic glue. Who made the atomic glue? Where does that come from? What does that mean? We don't know. But I read the Bible. How does it hold together? The Word of God. The Word of God that created it all is what holds it together. Can, can I tell you? When he says, let go, do you have any idea what that's going to be? I do. Second Peter chapter 3. It says that in that day, all the elements will melt with fervent heat, and there will be an explosion like has never been before. Wow, guys. That's just saying, let go. It's often said that in John chapter 11, when he said, Lazarus, come forth, that it, it, he had to call Lazarus to come forth, because if he just said, come forth, everybody would have come out of the graves. Why? Because he is the Word. Now, let me go on a little further with you. Everything in the cosmos, visible and invisible, is made by the Word of God. Everything in the cosmos depends completely on him. He get, matter of fact, turn to Acts chapter 17 just for a minute. Acts chapter 17. I want you to see this in the Word of God if you don't mind. So Acts chapter 17.
Here Paul is trying to speak to the um, Athenians there about their spirituality. Uh, And in verse uh, 23, he says, For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Everything in the cosmos depends on the word. You do too. Even those of you who don't believe in the Word, you depend on that Word. He's the one that speaks famine. He's the one that speaks to the weather. He's the one that governs how much food there will be. He's the one who shares that with you. That's why we give thanks for the food we're about to eat. Because the Word is the one that makes it. He's the one that holds it all together. Okay? Nothing in the cosmos can be independent of him. Out of his presence, but not independent. Now look, back here at the beginning, there was a test. Yeah, the adversary came and he did tempt the kids that were there, Adam and Eve. He tempted them. But can I say this? He's not acting independently of God. He has to find out from God whether he can do it. Get this picture. There is not an independent Satan. He is fully dependent upon God just like you are. You say, well, then why does he get by with so much? Why do you get by with so much? You understand? What are you you pointing at him for? We get by with an awful lot of stuff ourselves. Aren't you glad that he doesn't whack you for every time you do something wrong? Be a bunch of us black and blue here every, every uh, uh, Sunday morning, all right? Nothing in the cosmos can be independent of him. can be out of his presence, but not independent of him. Let's go on to the next page, please. It's that one. It's that one who is the eternal word, who's known as the Son back here, who created all of this all of its systems, all of it that answers to him. It's that one that in the fullness of time, Galatians chapter 3 tells us, God sent forth, or I'm sorry, it's chapter 4, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in the fullness of time. That's a way of saying at the right time. Boy, it had been great, don't you think, if he'd done that back here maybe? Back here, he's telling us what he's going to do. Back here through the prophets, he's telling us, I'm bringing this one. I'm bringing this one. A Messiah's coming. A Messiah's coming. You say, well, yeah, but all those people perished. Hang on. All those people are, will, are redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ who believed what God said at that time. Do you understand where I'm coming from? That's what it was all about, guys. They're waiting. They're looking to him. 
and he's here. All right. The Word, the Creator, became flesh. The unseen Word becomes one of us. I want you to get the picture. Why does that even have to take place? Now, I'm going to jump ahead just to know it. He had said all along here in prophecies, even as far back here as speaking to Eve, that out of your seed will come one who will crush the head of Satan. He already told it back here. It was already known. Why, did he, why was he able to tell it back here? Because he'd already done it back here. This is what he's going to do. And here he's carrying out the plan. And here all of these Moses and, and all the prophets, they're telling about him coming, him coming. He's going to be here. And then here at the right time, he becomes flesh. As it says to us, that's in the fulfillment of prophecy, the same word of God that was spoken. Who do you think is telling the prophets that a Messiah is coming? The same word of God that was back here. Why? Because he's standing outside of time and knows exactly what he's going to do from there to there. He knows exactly when he's bringing it at the right time he brings the son and he's been telling us all along with the prophets that's what he's going to do because this word speaks to the prophets and they're speaking the word of God all right. a proper vessel is chosen and is given word that the word that had knit her in the womb of her mother was about to knit in her womb the son of God every one of you in here were knit in the womb of your mother that's what Psalm 139 teaches us, that he is the one who knit you. He's the one that puts you together when you're just that little two-celled thing that's splitting, and then you're splitting again and splitting again and splitting again until you're, you're, not, you're not as big as a period on a page. But he's making you. He's making you a heart. He's making you everything you're going to need to live according to what he desires. Maybe not according to what everybody else desires. Maybe he's not got the blue eyes you thought he was supposed to have or the, uh, the green eyes that you thought. Maybe he's not. But that's what pleases the Father. And that's what the Father brings out, knitting them in the womb. And now, the Word of God sends to an angel who speaks to Mary the Word that you are going to bear the Son of God. Here was Mary who had been knit in the womb of her mother who's now got a womb herself and the Word of God is going to knit in her her very Messiah. She's going to carry that one. Guys, when I think of this, I think, what kind of a celebration, what kind of a ceremony would you have that can even come close to telling what that is. H how can you celebrate that? To, to darken such a miraculous story with such stupidity as Santa Claus, a tiny reindeer coming down the chimney. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? 
this thing here, that eternal thing that's going on, and we're going to go through the whole thing, and he's going to show up, and our way of celebrating that is eggnog? Seriously? That's it? Guys, do you, do you see what the miracle is? When, when we're going to call it, and I, I don't even like the term Christmas, I'm not Roman Catholic. When I, do I call it nativity? What, what, what do I call this? It's supposed to be that I'm remembering that. That's what's supposed to drive me. Is God opposed to us having winter festivals for, with our family? No. no. Of course not. Does he think we ought to have meals together? I, I hope I showed you a few weeks ago, you are what you eat. All the way back from here, he planned for us to have meals together. Meals are a part of fellowship. That's a part of how we love each other. It's a part of how we show hospitality. It's a part of our love for one another. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But, but to call that a celebration of this miracle, not Not really. You can make it that, but that's not it. Am, am, am I coming across okay? A proper vessel is chosen, and she's going to get to carry that Messiah. What, a, what an awesome thing that's going to be. No wonder, she says, how are you going to do that? How are you going to do that? I, I, I don't, I've never known a man. I, I and then he says this, I'm going to overshadow you. And I'm going to take a, an egg of yours, and I'm going to prepare a body. And Hebrews chapter 10 says, well, in the volume of the book it is written, a body you have prepared for me, and I have come to live that out, to do your will. That's the miracle. In keeping with creation, the Word speaks. The Word has told her you're going to have a child, and the Word can't be broken. You're going to have a child, and that Word comes to her, and then the Holy Spirit carries out that, empowers her to do exactly what the Word said it was going to take place. He creates a body for the Word to live, and the Holy Spirit overshadows her to empower her to do what the Word has said. And this is a genuine union of God and a human being. This child is God in the flesh, God incarnate. It's not a human-like appearance, but a real human. Now, back here in the Old Testament, Jesus showed, I shouldn't say Jesus, but the Son showed up several times as the angel of the Lord, and he showed up to accomplish the message he was supposed to give, and he looked like a human. But at that point, he could not redeem any of the earth. He is doing a different function. He's carrying out the word of the Lord as the angel of the Lord. Everybody follow me? That's a human-like appearance. He's not a human. He's a human-like appearance. Some of the others had this uh, thing to say, well, then he's just a spirit that showed up. It's just a spiritual appearance. 
This is not a newly spoken creation is the beginning, but a human who's come through human channels of being. Now back here, you had Adam and Eve created. I suppose you might think he could have created another one that would have been the Messiah. Or maybe he could come up here and create another one to make it Messiah. No, it has to come through normal human channels. For it to be a human that's connected to Adam and Eve, that's connected to all their offspring, it has to be somebody who comes through the same human channels they all did. So it has to be someone who's born. And that's why he comes in this incarnate fashion that way. Now I'll get this picture. He's come to redeem his people, to make them like himself. God so loved his creation that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Here's what God sees. He created things back here, and he said it's very good. He was very pleased what he'd done until an adversary entered in and created a, a, an adversarial position until that fall took place. And with that fall, he puts them out of the garden. They can't be in that presence any longer. But that's not the only rebellion that brought sin into the world. There's the rebellion of Genesis chapter 6 that brought sin into the world as well, where the angels decided they'd create their own kingdom. They would steal the kingdom from God, and they'd create their own kingdom of whatever kind of beings those were going to be. God has to destroy that nastiness. And there's going to be another rebellion out here further with the Tower of Babel. And as each of those gets worse and worse, can I, uh, you know, I've I, I got a, a good friend, and he was cutting wood in the woods. Um, a tree fell on him while he was on his um, uh, four-wheeler, and somehow the whole four-wheeler, anyway, the four-wheeler wound up on top of him. This is a strong fellow. But that, when that four-wheeler fell upon him, it has turned him into, I mean, the, the, the recovery was not good. And he's really hurting. He, he doesn't have strength. He has to lay all the time right now. I, he's not a paraplegic, but he's not recovering well. Can I tell you, when, when you're seeing that, that's what Jesus is seeing in his world. People beat up, oppressed by an adversary who is a liar, a thief, a killer, and they can't do anything about it themselves. They can't think their way out of it. They can't work their way out of it. They can't do enough good deeds out of it, yet they are proud enough to believe that they can. So they're going to offer him up all kinds of religions, all kinds of things that they're going to do to act like somehow they are righteous when they are just pockmarked everywhere with a cancerous, deadly disease that's destroying them. Jesus came to take that deadly disease on himself. That corruption... And the subsequent two next rebellions had tainted man beyond self-redemption and reformation. Without his person and work, sins can be covered but not taken away. You say, 
Well, uh, not really. Yeah, that's what the sacrifice system was about. The sacrifice system was called atonement. Atonement is the word that means covered. So they're covered, but not taken away. And what's more, not only are they not taken away, but a person cannot have positive righteousness given to him because animals can't give you righteousness. You're, you're done. It's only if a human being can take upon himself what being a human being is and one who has been faithful and just. That's what Jesus was. Because he is the Word, now made incarnate, he can offer himself as the sacrifice for sins and pay for them in full. He's paying for them with his death. He's buried. Is God going to be satisfied with the death of this incarnate Word? The son had been promised that if you laid down your life, I'll let you take it up again. The word of God cannot be broken. On that third day, kids, when that dead incarnate word is out of the grave and alive, you just got eternal life. Where you had been a big zero before, where his death had paid your debt in full. I, I was telling him Wednesday night, if your debt's paid in full, you're at a zero balance. Now go buy groceries. Unless you do it on credit, you can't buy groceries. Here's what he did. He took all the righteousness of this word, perfect word, all the righteousness of that word and gave it to you so that you have a positive balance on your scale. Not just zero for having been paid for, but his resurrection gives you a positive balance. He made him who knew no sin to be made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Athanasius, one of the church fathers, wrote this. God became incarnate that we might become God. Now think your way through that one very carefully because I know there's a whole lot of baggage that's touched touch with that. My brothers and sisters, what does he say you're going to look like when you're finished? You're going to be just like the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like him. He's the Son of God. What does He call you when you're finished? Sons of God. What does He call you right now? Children of God. You've got to grow up, and you're going to have to leave this body and get a new one. But He came to give you a new spirit that you could have a new resurrection. That's what this miracle is about. God incarnate to give to you everlasting life. What celebration would you have that could do that? Whatever it is, starts down here, doesn't it? Starts down here with a heart that says, oh, I am so grateful to be saved. I am so glad that he is. Only the incarnate word could do this for me. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for all that he is to us.
Thank you that he is the word incarnate. Thank you that he is our savior and our redeemer. And thank you that he's alive. And thank you that he's coming again. And, and thank you that he prepared a home for us. And thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Thank you, Lord. We are a humbled people by what you have done. Please help us celebrate your birth with full hearts in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.